Welcome to the Voice of the Force podcast for April 1st, 20... Welcome to the Voice of the Imperium podcast. Uh, my name is... This is Lord Inquisitor Marius Tholin. I have given command of this podcast to two others. First is the Lord Militant. Hello, I am Lord Militant General Renik Filk of 451st Imperial Combined Arms Division. Very good to meet you, Lord Militant. Glory be to Emperor. Of course, glory to the Emperor. And here as well we have another person, the Crimson King. Hello. As enigmatic and mysterious as always. So, before we get into this podcast, we should explain first what it is about. This podcast focuses on all things 40k, what we love about the universe, the parts of it we enjoy, and our thoughts about any of the new lore that has come out recently. Ed, uh, I, d I don't think this is the right channel. I think we might have to switch over to the other... Well, call Noma again. I think he's cut out, so something's going on. Just give him another... You had him to join the call. Sure, sure. sure. Give me a second. Let me on. just... Enough of this. Deploy the assassins. <laughs> the ways you can contact us are through our hijacked email, voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. There is also their Twitter, at voiceforcepod. There is a name ramblings here, speaking of how retweets help their new episodes and grow their listener base. It does not matter for us. We also have their website, voiceoftheforce.com, and they say that you can listen, review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. There's something about reviewing with five stars that helps a lot, and how subscribing is free, but no matter. Remember, Emperor only shines on people who glide with five stars. This is true, Lord Militant. In order to grow the Imperium, we need everyone to give us their highest ratings. Now then, let's dive into this podcast. So, my brothers, the first thing I'm curious to know is your favorite factions to play as, or factions that got you into the glorious game of Warhammer 40k. Lord Militant, why don't you start us off? As can easily be told, I am Lord Militant of Glorious Imperial Guard. I realize many new people coming to 40k may think it is extra militarum, but I kid you not, you are in the Guard, son. This is true. Though the records may have been lost to time, I as well remember the glory days of the Imperial Guard. I must ask, which edition of Warhammer 40k did you start with? I'm just going to go normal, actually. <laughs> that was a lot. That was really good. That was good. Um, I started in third edition, right when, like, maybe about a year after it came out. Oh, interesting. It's been a long time since I've met someone who got into 40K at the same time as I did. <laughs> well, we're, we're a dying breed. Many people, uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm not a fan of how the rules of the tabletop game have been evolving. I don't know if you remember or not, but second edition was very similar to what they're doing now. And um, 
the reason why they evolved the whole first and second edition from Rogue Trader and second edition to what you and I joined into at third edition with Rhino Rushes and all of that mm -hmm. uh, was to try and make the system a little bit simpler. But in yeah, doing that, yeah. they complicated a bunch of things. And now eventually they're actually going back to a very similar system. Yeah, it's this. It's definitely a weird thing because I do remember seeing all of the chaff that you'd get in second edition, right? Where it's, hey, here's a book, here's these data cards, here's the unit data cards, here's mm -hmm. the the item data cards, and it's just like, oh my god, you need three different binders to actually hold all this stuff. And yeah, now especially with the end of eight edition, it's definitely something I've talked with the Crimson King about a lot. Where man, when you need like seven books for one army, it's just yeah. How yeah. about three books for one model? Yeah, <laughs> I had that oh. at one point. I think yeah. at the end of sixth edition with the uh, the Magnus model that came out. Oh wow! And it was fun, you know, but it was literally three different books just for his psychic powers, and it got unwieldy, <laughs> to say the least. Right? Yeah. Like, especially because I'm not to knock on the hobby. Like, I love it to death. Like I said to you guys before we we went on air, I've had a huge 40k library. Because every book that they produce, whether it's army books, whether it's core rules, whether it's black library fiction, like everything is so lovingly done and just seeded with great story and great opportunity to just delve into. It's just, you're right, it gets unwieldy when you do have to. But I mean, I guess that's kind of the double-edged knife of this hobby, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and, and I definitely get where you're coming from. It's something that on some other podcast not this one some weird one called voice of the force uh I've, I've talked about a bunch of times where it's this weird thing where a lot of the stuff that i really love i end up having this vehemence too strong a word like this roiling love-hate relationship with because with star wars and warhammer and then also uh bioware games is another thing i love great it's, company oh yeah great companies right they're all great, great companies that do a lot of stuff or a lot of good stuff but i just I end up watching all of them devolve into this thing where they all start to really lose a lot of quality really quickly, and they do a bunch of things that I don't end up agreeing with. I still like the products and the lines, but it's just, yeah, it becomes this thing where I, I just start getting more and more annoyed with the, yeah, the backward steps that I see them take. I, I have a mild theory about this, and I hate to bring in another piece, of, a small piece of my own little bit of nerddom, but... <laughs> I developed this theory when I was giving some serious thought to like The Simpsons and how it's evolved and how I've learned to dislike the newer seasons as mm. much as there's great things to watch. But it dawned on me that ever since I'd say about halfway through the entirety of the series run, you started to get new showrunners that were brought up on 10 Ooh. to 15 years of Simpsons. Uh, so you have yeah, Simpsons yeah. writers who are writing shows for The Simpsons, influenced by The Simpsons. So it's kind of this like art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life dilution of the product. Mm -hmm. And if you think about Star Wars, I'm also a bit of a fan of Star Wars as well. But I mean, it's the same thing. You know, George Lucas had almost entire creative control to a point where I was a uh, small sidebar story. I was working in a cinema when uh, they re-released or no, when episode two or three came out mm -hmm. and um a friend of mine who was supervisor there had a letter requesting him be fired because for a day they misplaced a single poster. Lucasfilm thought that he stole it. 
right? Oh my God. It was just in a different storage locker. They just misplaced it. But this is how in-depth I know Lucas had his creative control over his product. Yeah. And he advanced it and allowed certain people, and I'm sure most of your fans will recognize one of my favorite authors from the Star Wars universe is Timothy Zahn. Oh. And like different kinds of people, Michael A. Stackpole, different kinds of people like that who have advanced, you know, the what is now called Legends universe. Mm. Um, and now you have a whole new generation with a little bit of guidance from some of the old hands, I'll admit, but I mean a whole new generation who was raised on all of these stories cr created by one person, creating new stories. And that's what I feel is kind of creeping into 40K a little bit as well, because you got to remember 40K was invented the year I was born, right? 33 years ago. So oh, Okay, wow. But yeah, no, those are great points. And yeah, I definitely think you're you're right with that. The, the one thing that I definitely have said as well is that, you know, thankfully, at least now we've got Kevin Roundtree, who's in charge. And I'll, you know, as as much as I don't agree with some of the, the choices that New Games Workshop has been doing, mm -hmm. man, it's such an improvement over Tom Kirby's stuff. It's just, oh, God, it's nice that they're at least trying a little bit to cover up, you know, the fact that they just desperately want our money just mm. to bleed us of all of our precious blood supply. But, no, it's absolutely true. Yeah, but I mean, you can't that, create a, a company like this without trying to to get people to reinvest. I mean, I oh. don't know how many people I know who've collected an army only to sell it second or third or fourth hand, and Games Workshop gets no profit off that. Yeah. And I see where they're coming from. You know, you want to stay viable to have a hobby that you want to have through 33 years, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, speaking of uh, blood and the color red, Crimson King, I've known and been able to see your journey through 40K for quite a while, but for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, as you can probably guess, I like Tau. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I started with Tau, uh, mm. I want to say probably 11 years ago, maybe 12. I don't really remember. Yeah. Um, it was this friend I had at school who... I don't even know how it started. He just really started bugging me and my other friends about this thing called Warhammer. Um, yep. And he was like, models. And I always wanted to do like model airplanes and stuff. And he was like, okay, we're going to figure out what army you want. And he started telling me about the lore. And I was like, just show me the models. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he showed me and I was looking at them. And at that time, I liked the, the aesthetic of the Tau with the battle suits and the tanks. So and then for, I think, one of my birthdays, my friends pitched in and bought me a tank. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm starting. Little did I know, 11, 12 years later, whatever, I now have seven armies <laughs> trying to collect all, all the the novels. And right. uh, I definitely, definitely started loving the Thousand Suns and Zeech in general. Mm -hmm. I got to ask um, you, what was your first novel? My first actual novel was probably uh, A Thousand Sons. Yeah? Yeah, I think that was the first one I read, and it hooked me. And mm. I have it right next to me, because I was going to make some notes of the beautiful things I love in it. Uh, but, <laughs> but I bet I, you don't even need to pick it up, eh? I just wanted to double-check, because it's been so long since I've read it. But, I mean, if we're going to run down uh, a few list of things, I mean, Russ is awful, and everything <laughs> he does is uh, completely hypocritical. Literally down to, I was just skimming through, and there's a point where he's chastising Magnus for wearing a cloak into battle. And Magnus is like, what about your wolf pelts? And he's like, it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from, from the same land of uh, our magic comes from Fenris, so it's special magic. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We don't yep. use the warp. Warp is bad magic. Um, yeah. I'm going to send a spy into your legion because we think you're sending spies into every other legion. <laughs> 
Um, like everything. I, oh, it's beautiful. I mean, let me roll some bones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's let's predict the future by rolling bones instead of just taking a peek. You know. Exactly. Um, and all the way up to the point where they they literally take this giant war machine, put some crystal in it, and control it psychically. It's, oh yeah, yep. <laughs> all the little that. things, and then I, the... I got to be honest. The story of Magnus breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, and I think I don't know what the selection process for the authors, but when they they got Graham McNeil to do most of the Thousand Sun mm. stuff, he's one of the the best that I've read. Uh, oh yeah, he's definitely in. I was gonna say the top three, but I think that's turned into like a top five now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some some blasphemy from some of the other members. <laughs> Although actually, yeah, this brings this uh, kind of evens us out because I I'm like on the fence where it's like I don't think Magnus did nothing wrong. I don't mm. think it was all his fault, but you know. Mm. That's why it's tragic. Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> definitely he had the best intentions in his heart. Mm. There was never the malice of much going on there, but he just didn't fully understand what he was doing. Oh, yeah, I think that's true. And you can see that, too, in Thousand Sons, right? Because after he realizes what he's done, he just locks himself away and lets well, the, the retribution fleet arrive. Yeah. Per permission for a little bit of heresy for a second. <laughs> By all means. <laughs> okay. I got to admit that, like, as much as big old God Emperor of Mankind needs to play some things close to his chest because, like, shit happens, you know what I mean? But, mm. like, as far as I understand the lore, the Emperor was supposed to put Magnus on the Golden Throne in order to hold open the Webway, yeah. right? Yeah. So if he had just been like, yo, Magnus, you're going to be humanity's greatest hero, just don't fuck shit up. <laughs> yep. Like, two lines. Two lines of dialogue yeah. would fix this whole universe. Two words would fix the whole heresy. Oh, but yeah. yeah. Well, and that's that's sort of a recurring theme, right? No matter how godly these Primarchs are, even the Emperor, they have human faults. I mean, the Emperor is mostly just he's a bad dad, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do it, do it and I'll fucking spank you. Yeah. <laughs> barely, barely a father at certain points, like we see now when uh, Gulliman comes back and, and the Emperor's talking to him, not like he's a son, but like he's, like, the way that Gulliman puts it, like an artist who's found his favorite tool again. Okay, yeah. I haven't read yeah. that book, but I do have oh, a okay. question about that. Yeah. Right? Because I've, don't worry, like, you can't spoil me, I've done my digging, <laughs> whatever, no problems, okay? Yeah. So don't worry about saying nothing for me. Okay. But that being said, I haven't read that book specifically. I do have a bit more sympathy for the Emperor now than I did 10,000 years ago. Mm. Because 10,000 years of being soul-bound to, like, a thousand psychers a day, it's got to fuck with your head, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, so that book specifically, that's from Rise of the Primarch, which I think was... I can't even remember what the event was, but, you know, the it was the books that was, oh, yeah, Fall of Cadia and then yeah. um, start of the... The Cicatrix you know, and yeah, all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, Cicatrix. All the Triumvirates that came out. Yeah, that was it, the Triumvirates, yeah. Um, so that, that's from that book. It's, yeah, once Gulliman uh, actually makes it back to Terra, they talk about that. And there's, there's a really interesting take on the Emperor that I've always thought was... In my head, still canon, which is I don't I don't know if either of you guys have ever read there. It's an old series of books called the Inquisition. Ian Watson, Wars. the Inquisition yes. Wars. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Jack Draco. Oh my god, that is such a <laughs> mindfuck of a trilogy, but it's such great writing. Oh yeah, it's so good. And and so in that one, 
the way that they depict the emperor is that he is at this point broken down into dozens and dozens of different voices. Exactly. Yeah. That are all like talking with each other or just warring with themselves. And they've all got these different opinions. And I thought that was so interesting of just, yeah, if you're, if you're isolated for 10,000 years and the only thing that you have is you're eating a thousand psyker souls a day. Yeah. You're going through this type of mental breakdown that, you know, has never really been seen before. I like that. I like mm-hmm. that, and I think more recently they've done the Shards of Magnus, and I think that yeah, yeah, because that's a physical representation of the split, and that's a good connection because Magnus has always been so much like the Emperor because mm-hmm. they're immense psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and I will admit, at first when that change happened, I wasn't a huge fan of it until I I read a how Janus was created. Yeah, Janus, and then so. yeah, and then I was like, oh man, okay, so the good part goes real good i really like that and then in um scars which is the white scar horace heresy novel yeah they they dive into that more and i thought then once i read that i was like you know what this makes sense i like this a lot but uh yeah i guess with that we'll move on to the last person which is me and yeah so like i've said a little bit i think i actually got in after kyle at this point because i got in just around the end of third edition i was only there for about two or three years maybe Mm. But yeah, I, I got in a long time ago. I uh, I got in because of a, a friend of mine in I think fourth or fifth grade, and then he brought me to a games workshop, and I just just there was something about the aesthetic that I loved, and then I started getting into the lore with my first army, which is still my favorite, which is the Blood Angels. Got into that, dove in real real deep, and then by the time I was acting as Warhammer drug dealer for uh, a certain <laughs> Crimson King. <laughs> I think at that point I had expanded to I, I was Blood Angels and then I was Blood Angels Tau. Then I picked up Imperial Guard and then I picked up what was it? Then I picked up Chaos and then Dark Eldar and I threw in some Inquisition with that. And then I started collecting Eldar because I thought they'd be neat too. And then through a whirlwind of different things, I think I'm sitting on nine armies right now. Oh wow! In, yeah, in various states of of being built. Like I don't think my sisters of battle are even out of the box yet, but I always. I always wanted to play Sister Battle, but it was just, it was so unwieldy to do it because they were all metal back when, you know, in third edition. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think in third edition, I think they were the best form, though. With all of their faith points, they were awesome. Oh, yeah. And and it was such a cool thing because them and Grey Knights were the only ones who could, you know, conscript uh, Imperial Guard and Space Marines into their arms, right? Yeah. But it was, you know, 14 bucks for two models and they need a squad of 10. It's like, nah, yeah, it's not, it's not happening. Well, so. a buddy of mine who got me in, like, this is a very, very good friend of mine who got me into the whole hobby. Kind of, mm. we kind of did little paper, paper stand-ins. Oh, and I remember okay. there was at one point where, like, because we'd have the weekends to ourselves, his parents would go away, we'd have the house. So we'd basically put on weekend long, like 10, 15,000 point games. And uh, at one point, I'm not kidding you, I had a squad of 30 orcs represented by a piece of paper that was probably no bigger than maybe the base of, like, two dreadnoughts. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It was, like, I've had some of the best 40k experiences with this guy just because, like, one of the things that I love about the hobby is the mutability of it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They give you a set of rules, and yeah, you can be rules lawyery if you want, and those can be some fun games. You can go to tourneys, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like some of the best games I've had have been with this guy because we just make up some on-the-fly stuff. There was one time where I had a rattling sniper who was on top of a basilisk, and mm-hmm. my buddy blew up the basilisk. 
and I was losing this game horribly, absolutely horribly. This was in the first like year or two of me playing the game. Okay. And just for shits and giggles, he's like, all right, cool. Your basilisk is blown up. I'm like, all right, cool. This rattling on top of it is now going to, you know, go up in the air and come back down. I'm going to roll a scatter die and we're going to treat it as a single las gun hit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, all right, cool. We'll see where it lands. Oh, that's great. Man, nice. as as much as I miss the old rules, and I understand that they were they were taken out because they were unwieldy and stuff like that. Man, oh man, I, I really miss I really miss Scatter Die. That was one of my favorite things. Yeah, right? Oh God, yeah. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> range and Scatter Die were awesome because it made it it made the system rewarding. Yeah. When you didn't know what your ranges were, like we're in Canada. We use both metric and imperial, right? So mm. centimeters for uh, Battlefleet Gothic to inches for 40k didn't really matter, right? So, like, <laughs> I got good at making these guesses, and it felt really rewarding. And now you take it away from me, and it's a facet of the game, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, because one of my favorite things was, and you know, as a guard player, you'll know this, but back when we had the, oh, I can't even remember what he was called anymore, Master of Ballistic, Master of Ordnance. I would love just, I'd always take a Master of Ordnance. I'd get like one hit maybe a game, but I, I would have so much more fun when I'd fire the Master of Ordnance and it would scatter back into my conscripts and annihilate half of them. <laughs> just be that's like, how I won a game. Legitimate, that's how I won a game. It was uh, just before the end of Scatter, so I think it was 5th edition. Okay. And uh, I was playing my same buddy. I fired a Lehman Rust. The battle shell came back, hit one of my 30-squad platoons, which mm. brought it down to 12 guys who could then get into the Valkyrie that was right next to them, go on top of the objective, deploy, and win the game for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will tell you why I do not like Scatter. I, okay. I do like Scatter in Titanicus, which is an amazing game going on oh, right yeah. now. I oh, love it. Yeah. The reason that I hate the Scatter die and the templates in general, mm. you're on different sides of the table. You want to play the game relatively quickly, especially if you're out. So I fire a template. I kind of hold it over. I roll the Scatter die on my side of the table. It tells me what direction it's going. Yeah. I hold something there. I move it over. It's a completely different angle. Yeah. And then true. you move the template and uh, you see, you know, five guys under it. Your opponent sees six guys under it. You try to reach over the table so you can get a better look. And mm. it just. That's I mean, where the rules lawyering kind of bites it, in the it ass. It does. And, mm. and I mean, you know, if you have one every now and then and you're like, OK, you know, like let them get six. It doesn't mean they're going to kill the six guys. Exactly. But yeah. when you're fighting Imperial Guard and they have the quad shot <laughs> mortars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And they lines. have three or four of them. Uh, I see. I've, I've stood, I see the scars of trauma are still on you. See, I was that's I've fair. always played um, like 90 percent of my games, I'd say I've mm -hmm. played with buddies at home outside of like games workshop environments or there was this old place on Bathurst a long time ago. I'm going to give a shout out to a long dead business. It was called Nexus X okay. and there were some really, really cool guys there. It was right south of Honest Ed's just before they took that uh, down. Okay. And like I've always played games in those kinds of atmospheres where everybody would look at each other and they'd be like, well, I think it's six guys and I think it's five guys. OK, let's roll a dice. Odds or evens. That's good. You know what I mean? That's good. Uh, and it solves uh, your argument right there. Yeah, That's fair. I, I have mostly only played with friends, but mm. we do like I mean, it's all friendly, but we do tend to get kind of competitive. And... Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't want to lose. Like, it's your army. Yeah, Fuck that. Course. I've got a name for most of my character, like my well painted guys. Yeah, we we have a range in our group from 
rules are law to uh, <laughs> to let's just have fun. And I'm uh, I'm on the just have fun side, which is why I've probably lost about 95% of my games. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And uh, I am on the other side. I'm trying to get more onto the just play it for fun. I blame a lot of that on the fact that for the first couple of years that I was playing, I was playing at uh, at a games workshop stores. Mm. And I think that's where, especially as someone who wasn't even 18 at that point, I think that's where a lot of my habits came from. Yeah. And they're not really great. You know, you don't notice till you start playing with friends and you see their reactions when uh, you're losing. But you start to realize those aren't really the best people to emulate. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because also 40K was the first game that showed me that sometimes adults can act like children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Oh, yeah. I, I oh, man, I had a game once where fighting Imperial Guard and the guy was like in his 30s. I was like, I wasn't even in high school at this point. Mm. And he was just he was throwing these temper tantrums when it looked like he was losing. And he was like sulking and acting like a man, baby. And I remember at that point, you know, just being like, oh, wow, I'm more of an adult than he is. <laughs> and then, you know, you you flash forward to thinking you're losing a game and then you win. And it just. The victory tastes like ashes because you've been an ass the entire time. And you go, oh, God, I'm becoming him. What happened? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, it like there's there's a line to that, though. I mean, there's been a couple of different games where, you know, specifically at like Games Workshop environments where I'll be having a, a conversation with someone else, looking at their model in the middle of a game, waiting for them to move or whatever. They make their roll. And like, really, you rolled five sixes? Really? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, okay, I've seen it happen, yeah. but like Yahtzee, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember playing with one person like that, and the clue where I was just like, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm gonna win this game. Was all of his dice looked slightly melted, like just oh, just fuck. a little bit, just the edges <laughs> were a little bit going. But a couple of days before that, I had I had read that somewhere that you could weight your dice by putting them in the oven, and you put mm. the sixes down, <laughs> so the plastic will melt slightly. Or uh, sorry, you put the sixes up, so the, sixes the yeah, it'll it'll yeah. slightly melt towards the one. Yeah. And so I just remember playing that game, and going, "Well, I think I'm gonna lose this." <laughs> yeah, like that kind of stuff. Just it's a game, man. Like yeah, I remember this is one of the things that actually frustrated me about. Games Workshop when they redid Abaddon's 13th Black Crusade, if I'm allowed to just nail a, a hole in a coffin that's been oh, yeah. bugging me for a little bit. The 13th Black Crusade, I get it. You know, it's a big selling point. 13 is an unlucky number, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you guys remember or not, but one of the first couple of years that I was actually involved in the hobby, mm -hmm. I remember they actually did the 13th Black Crusade. And yeah, what they yeah, did was a worldwide thing through White Dwarf. Was it White Dwarf? Yeah, yeah, it was White Dwarf. Yeah, White Dwarf. Okay, through the magazine. And everyone who participated in a game at a games workshop would report their battle reports, like how much they lost by, how much they won by. Mm -hmm. Or if they wanted to send in a battle report from home, they could email them in, and there was a cutoff date. Yeah. And basically could, the tallies... You could even mail them in, which was exactly. back in those days. <laughs> and it, and uh, what they did was they took the tallies from the different continents, the different like games workshop headquarters, like Australia, uh, UK, North America, Asia, whatever. And those were the different battle zones that you were fighting in. 
So if the forces of order won in North America, you'd win like Cadia or something. Mm. And basically it was a worldwide event for every player at the time got a small chance to write a little bit of the history of 40K. So they said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, they could have done whatever they wanted. Absolutely. You can't have Abaddon as a character on the tabletop in like yeah. 50 million games and then say he was everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I well, mean... It made it feel like you were contributing to the universe at the very least, right? Yeah. And that's what I don't like about how they took that away and just redid his 13th Black Crusade the way they wanted to. Yeah, and um, and that's fair because I, I do remember as well because they also – I wonder if I actually – no, I think that's a book I'm still hunting for because I'm trying to hunt down all the third edition books. But Because, uh, yeah, they, they released at that same time. I think around that same time, Storm of Chaos or what was it called? It was like Storm of Chaos or – Legions of the Damned or something like that, but it, it was a book that came out with the Legions of the Damned rules and yeah, uh, yeah, Lost yeah, in the yeah. Damned. And, it was yeah, a all... White Dwarf print. Yeah, it was a White Dwarf print originally, and then they, they sold it as like a tiny like 20-page uh, codex. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember and... those too, like Assassins and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and like City Fight, and you know, back when codexes had the, the tiny, tiny supplements, because my original Blood Angel codex is like 14 pages. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if, if you knew about this. I might be be about to shatter an illusion. Do you know what happened with the results of Storm of Cadia? No, I don't. Because okay. obviously I assume they were taken and tabulated. So no. shatter some illusion. <laughs> so unfortunately, the thing that surprised me is GW made this mistake twice because basically what happened was when they tallied the results for the 13th Black Crusade slash Gothic War, Chaos had an overwhelming victory. Like they oh, wow. they won by a they won by a lot, but the problem is they said the victory condition for Chaos's victory is they take Cadia, overrun the entire system, and start you know marching on Seoul, and they didn't want that because then you're moving the history forward. Yeah. So what they did was they tallied all the results together and they went, um, uh, uh, Pyrrhic Imperial victory, the they won. The Imperium won, but oh, the Fourteenth Black Crusade. Oh, they're not gonna be ready for that. Oh, it's, it's, it's gonna. Oh, I don't know what's gonna happen here. Um, yeah, yeah, because I'm pretty sure that if I remember now that you say that, if I remember the timeline correctly, that was in Fourth Edition, and then shortly thereafter, Fifth Edition was like in the works, and then when Fifth Edition got released in that main rule book, they were saying how the Golden Throne is breaking down and yes. whatever and blah blah blah. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and so the reason I say I'm surprised they made this mistake twice was because earlier in third edition's life cycle, in its uh, in its sibling game Warhammer Fantasy, they were doing a, a similar event called Storm of Chaos, and it was like, oh, the end times might be coming. You know? Yeah, oh, I remember that too. Yeah, I just yeah. wasn't a fantasy player. Yeah, exactly. Same, uh, same here. And it was that same thing where they did this campaign and they're like, oh, if Chaos wins, oh, if Chaos wins, it's going to be the end times. Chaos is going to destroy everything and they'll they'll annihilate the world. And Chaos won by a landslide. And they were like, oh, we can't. Uh, um, but we we need to sell products. We don't want the world to be destroyed. So they had it as in that one. Archeon was on the verge of victory. He was about to win. And then the orc leader Grimgor just shows up and headbutts him into submission. Ah, uh, convenient just, plot device out. Yeah, he just headbutts uh, Archeon unconscious and then just leaves. So it's like, oh, well, they almost won. But um, can I ask more. where you where you figured that out from? Do you mind? Uh, yeah. So 
originally this was all taken from um, a very reputable source, which is 1D4chan. But from there, they do break down uh, from at least the sources that I was hunting down. The, these are basically coming from ex-White uh, Dwarf employees. Okay, okay, that it, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it just so happened, it seems in both ways, right? They In both cases, they really underestimated the amount of Chaos players that there were. And, you know, just because of that, it, it kind of ended up falling apart. But Well, I remember being a newbie Imperial Guard during that whole campaign, and I had my ass handed to me by uh, Necrons more than a couple of times, so... <laughs> Yeah. Speaking right. of, can we talk about how Xenos aren't represented in any of this? Because <laughs> I know oh, yeah. they did do a global campaign. I think it was seventh or eighth edition. And oh, yeah, uh, that's right. The the war for the McCraig sector, right? Was it McCraig? I don't know. I think so. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Didn't do <Yeah>. anything. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> again, it was you know Imperium versus Chaos, and if you play Xenos, you get to pick who you helped. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which um, which was so weird to me because it was like, so if I have Xenos fighting Blood Angels and like Tau fighting Blood Angels and the Tau win, they can help the Imperium side because they get to something choose. Something like that. It was, it just, I mean. And yes, I get because the, of warp storms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get that the Xenos don't, they aren't an overarching faction, right? They're all separate entities. Mm. But it just feels like, eh. Yeah, I understand that a lot as, you know, well, me and you both play a pretty decent amount of Xenos armies. And yeah, the last time we were plot relevant is, I can't even remember, like for me, technically it would be DNRE. That was like the last time that, that my Eldar were plot relevant, but then it was also a faction that I didn't play. I mean, I say that, I've got the yeah. trumpet of the Inari behind me somewhere because I have an addiction. Uh, but... <laughs> Tyranids ate all your precious blood angels. Oh yeah, that's that's true, the Devastation of Ball. That, but that's like a footnote in Codexes, which is annoying. It's an amazing novel. Yeah, yeah but... like the whole idea of the Tyranids fighting the blood angels kind of makes me a little, you know, stiff for that. Right? The the biggest <laughs> the biggest problem I have with the actual setup of the Devastation of Ball is they did something with the Tyranid Hive Mind that I don't agree with. Because mm. they make it very clear in the first couple of chapters, they theorize that the Blood Angels understand it too. The Hive Mind isn't just going after them just as coincidence. It's going after them because it actually hates the Blood Angels. And I was like, ah! <laughs> That's cool. At first, it's something I war with because it's like... It is kind of cool that the hive mind is like, okay, we need to kill these guys because I hate them and they're an actual threat. I'll tell you why. Okay. They hate the blood angels <laughs> because the blood angels are best friends with the only army that could beat the Tyranids in the long run. <laughs> the Necrons. The Necrons. <laughs> uh, never going to let us drop the Silent King thing. <laughs> he's back. Fair. You guys should be happy. Yeah, right. Oh, he's got Sanguinis' death mask. Doesn't that mean something? Just, that was such a weird... Thing. I do have a question for you guys in regards to the Tyranids, because I've been mulling this over in my head for a good many years. Yeah. What do you guys think the hive mind actually is? Because I've been mulling this over, whether or not it's just the gestalt consciousness of billions of beings or trillions of beings or whatever, so there's no one synapse creature. Mm. But I don't think that that's true. I think it's a gestalt consciousness, true, but I think that there has to be some kind of queen or something like that out there in the interreaches of intergalactic space who's kind of channeling this stuff. Yeah. I think it has to be just by the representation of how the Tyranids themselves function. Smaller organisms into a larger hive mind, into a larger hive mind, into a larger hive mind. Mm. Yeah. What do you I guys would, think? I would probably agree with that, especially because we see 
you know, when humanity enters the warp, we get corn. Like they create gods by, exactly. by having these presences. So if the Tyranids have this giant presence, which which they do because they have the hive mind, there probably is some creature out there, whether it's a pure warp entity or a physical manifestation, it's, mm. it's hard to tell. I mean, the Tyranids, the masses of Tyranids could be the physical representation of the warp entity that is the hive mind. Mm. So Now, if yeah. it is one being... Who the hell is going to kill that thing? <laughs> I don't think anybody. There's an interesting thing in Devastation of Ball where – oh, and so also the last point I had with Devastation of Ball is it's like – you know I think it is cool. It's interesting that they do actually hate the Blood Angels, but at the same time, it, it's this duality because I, I kind of appreciate the hive mind when it is just this pure alien consciousness that we cannot comprehend. It just right? – you know um, – It's like Reapers. the thing. Yeah, it's like Reapers, if the thing or Reapers from Aspect, right, where it's just the actions that we do are so grand, they're beyond your comprehension. So mm -hmm. I feel like then when you boil it down to they hate them, it gets a little bit wonky. But the theory that I've kind of thrown around that I have thought would be really interesting, or I say thrown around, it's only in my head, is that the Tyranid hive mind is kind of like the closest organic equivalent to a chaos god Ooh. that just kind of has a massed kind of in the same vein of, of how people have theories that the Emperor has become a Chaos God because of all the Psyker Souls he's absorbed over 10,000 years. Yeah. In that same vein of just being this entity has devoured so much of just entire galaxies worth of organic mass and psychic might from those races. It's just transcended into the equivalent of, like, they have those stories of an AI becoming so enlightened it literally transcends to, like, Nirvana. Something yeah. like that. Because there's an interesting passage in Devastation of Ball where when the Cicatrix Maledictum opens and that grand tearing of the Eye of Terror first starts, the psychic backlash is so intense and so just painful to the hive mind since it is connected to the warp it actually kills the hive mind for mm. an instant but it does say in the book that the hive mind is so powerful and vast in its its expanse and its power it can't actually die so it kills it for a second and then it kind of comes back screaming in, into reality and during that moment there's a couple of other cool points where it's just like as it dies it literally permanently burns out synapses with entire hive fleets like minor mm. strains, right? But just any of the minor tendrils that it had, it loses contact with them permanently, and they're going to become these feral tyranids that unfortunately hasn't really come up. But oh, I like that's that. interesting. Yeah. I really like that. I was gonna say, like, Devastation of Ball just has has all these really interesting kind of backstory points with uh, the tyranid hive fleet, and we get some cool things on just showing how they they do a lot of the things that we see them doing. But yeah, no, it's it's. It's a really neat kind of thing. You come for the uh, Red Boys. Well, that sounds wrong. But you, you, you get the book for the for the Red Boys, and then you stay for the really cool Tyranid lore. Come for the Red Boys. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's Sanguinius. He, he's the most beautiful of all the Primarchs. I don't care what Fulgrim says. Yeah. <laughs> My personal little headcanon of the, uh, the Tyranids and the Necrons, actually, is the Silent King left the galaxy to go find a cure for the metallic bodies that he got mm. all the Necrons That's into. Right. Yeah. Um, and then a giant mass of organic bodies shows up. So in, in my headcanon, probably it's been refuted already with the Silent King being back, I don't know. But mm. I like to think that the Tyranids are the answer to the Necrons... Uh, immortality okay. where they combine and a lot of their units could easily combine like there's the the tyranids have 
I think they're called the Reavers, the the ones that burrow underground, and they look pretty similar to the Canoptic Wraiths. Uh, oh yeah, Raveners. Raveners, yeah. Uh, and because they both, you know, they have the the hive mind connection, the AI connection with the the Necron tier mm. kind of thing. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, but I think it would be. Do you neat... think that that would still be possible, considering that a vast majority, not all, but a vast majority of Tyranid forms are not humanoid? Like Necrons were bipedal, were they not? They were. So I'm. I mean, there would obviously have to be some shoehorning to get that to work. But I was thinking, like, if we started seeing Tyranid show up with the, I forget what it's called, the Necrodermis. Um, oh yeah. And we start getting like uber super, you know, like literally Terminator combined with Alien. Yeah, um, fuck that. <laughs> then. Yeah, that would be terrifying. What, what, what the hell chaos. is my flashlight supposed to do against that? <laughs> well, if you twin link it by putting a laser sight on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you then... get double the firepower. Did you breed out epilepsy? That's all I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so if they ever, I mean, I do like them being separate factions, but mm-hmm. I think if they ever wanted something to unite Chaos and Imperium and all the other Xenos, just uh, smash some Tyranids and Necrons together. I have a strange theory for you talking about smashing races. This has been sitting in my mind for a long time, ever since I read this one White Dwarf article. And same buddy, him and I have been on opposite ends of this for a long time. What do you guys think of Chaos Space Marine Orcs? Oh, I remember that. Well, not Chaos Space Marine Orcs, but I I remember seeing the Chaos Corrupted Orcs. Exactly. So this is where, okay, Ludas, right? Mm -hmm. Ludas go around and they just steal shit. So one day these Ludas end up raiding, I don't know, say a battle barge of some unnamed chapter, right? And in the process of looting this battle barge, the chapter, uh, the battle barge captain says, hey, let's jump into the warp and fuck everyone because we're space marines and you don't get to have our stuff. So they go into the warp. They lower the Geller field, whatever happens. The, the orcs, because they're like nigh incorruptible due to chaos, spend some time there end up looting some space marine stuffs and according to the old stat lines they were roughly the same stat line with the exception of like initiative and like a few other minor things Mm. but uh so get some orcs who have now had a long time to loot space marine armor and then get infected by chaos Mm. and they like meld to their armor giving them three plus armor saves giving them bolters like jeez what do you guys think about that (laughs) uh terrifying (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember all the details, but normally you do. That orc mm. that is continually... Oh, killing, yeah, yeah. If you want to... Yeah, my favorite, Tusca Demon Killer. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to bring him up as well, because I think it becomes this rare occurrence kind of thing, where the way that I... There was some book, I think it was... It was either Grey Knights or Chaos or that White Dwarf article, where they talk about the fact that orcs are very resistant to chaos, not because they've got an innate toughness towards chaos it's It's because they don't don't accept well and they don't accept the gods they look at them and they go oh those are cool but they're not as strong as gork and mork you know why would we follow them and so i feel like in those cases it's the rare orcs who do look at the chaos gods and go oh he might have a good point maybe i should (laughs) blood for the blood god because that is a really good i feel like that's the where the difference lies because you can't have chaos orcs and you know they're very rarely mentioned in the lore but then you look at tusca demon killer and he was just saturated in the warp. So he's, his adventure starts because his Geller fields fail. And he never turns the corner. He, for now, lives on, you know, in perpetuity as far as we know. He lives on a corn demon world. And he's constantly being revived every single day. Actually, uh, Kyle, do you know Tusca Demon Killer's lore? 
I do not, sir. Uh, Okay, so I'll go over that real quick because he's one of my favorites. So Tuska Demon Killer is flying with his warband. He's not even called Tuska Demon Killer at this point. He's just War Boss Tuska. Is flying through the warp at one point, and his Geller fields fail, and they get invaded by demons. And he fights off the invasion, loses three quarters of his orcs. And at the end of it, he goes, "That was the most fun I've ever had. Those guys wouldn't die. They slaughtered most of my men. This is amazing." I need to fight more. And so he he spends uh, the next batch of time recruiting more orcs and learning about demons, and he learns that they're all in the Eye of Terror. So the next time you see him, he's invading Cadia. Well, not specifically, he's invading the Cadia system, but he hits one of the training planets outside Cadia, invades it with all of his guys. The guard are freaking out, and they have no idea what's happening. And then all of a sudden, all of his boys pull out, and they fly straight into the Eye of Terror. That's and- amazing. Yeah, and so he literally just starts bouncing in between all these demon worlds. And so they have certain things where he lands on like a Zinch world and, and the, the demon in charge is like, he's like, guess the answers to my five impossible puzzles and you will receive rewards beyond, you know, your imagination. And Tuska smashes the puzzles and destroys the planet. Yes. <laughs> and then, yeah, he moves on to a Slanesh world and that's the same thing. They're like, ah, you know, we're going to tempt you with the excesses of vice. And he's like, yes, my vice is killing. And he slaughters his way across the Slanesh planet. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so, it's so much fun. It's, it's from, I think like it started from the fifth edition orc codex, I think. And so he ends up landing on a, a cornate demon world. And the corn demon world is where he actually loses. He, his men are just slowly annihilated by the legions of corn over the span of seven days. I mean, and they've got their cornflakes. What do you expect? Yeah, exactly, right? And it's on, you know, a corn planet. It's raining blood and all this stuff. And the, they say that instead of uh, sand on the beaches, it's it's like beaches of skulls. Um, but Tuska also goes out in my favorite way because he fight he one-on-one's a demon, uh, cornate demon prince, and he loses. He gets cut in half, but his last act of defiance is he reaches up between the demon prince's legs and just closes his power claw <laughs> yes <laughs> yes he straight up just castrates the guy but corn had so much fun watching tuska fight that the next day tuska and all his boys wake up on the demon world again oh that's and a heaven for both people exactly and so every day it's just tuska being reincarnated and fighting corn demons and he's I'm basically just that planet valhalla fuck it right, yeah right and it, it ends with tuska saying uh, with them saying like tuska is just ecstatic he has no plans to leave because he just gets to murder every single day and just yeah fight to his heart's content so yeah tuska demon killer is one of my favorite orcs a and b why i think as long as an orc believes in gork and mork i don't think they can be chaos corrupted that's fair that's fair, that's yeah. fair. And, you know, we get some other Chaos Corruption things going on now. Like, the, the new Farsight novel has has canonized the fact that Tau can actually become possessed now. It's just... Uh, okay. Yeah, so I've been listening to a bunch of people go back and forth about that. And the way that I see it... Because they, they have always said that Tau have a small warp presence. I thought so, uh, it was never null. So I guess yeah. there would be something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're one step away from blanks, basically. Okay. And okay. so the way that a bunch of people, people have been saying this in, in a couple threads that I've been following, and I, I think it makes the most sense, is the way that you look at it is that a Tau is a pizza roll, but humanity is like a pizza buffet. So it's like, which one are you going to go for? You're going to go for the mm. humans first. Okay. They're a yeah. full buffet, but you'll eat a pizza roll. It's just, you know, it's not going to make you full. You're going to go for some rolls for that. Okay. Um, yeah. You'll eat the pizza roll on the way to the other one. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, speaking of that, I was also just kind of, sh- we've already been talking about a lot of uh, theories. Do you guys have any like favorite ones off the bat? Because my favorite one right now is that the Emperor is the fifth Chaos God. That's a good one. Yeah. And it's just kind of, 
you know, it kind of makes sense. You know, you eat that many souls a day. Everyone believes in you, which we now know, you know, even just having emotions is enough to keep the Chaos God sustained because they've kind of told us now that the Emperor's plan wouldn't have worked in the first place. Yeah. So um, my favorite is um, not only are the Grey Knights technically a subchapter of the Thousand Suns because of the Shard of Magnus, but the Blood Ravens, the uh, THQ. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, you know, red red armor, abundance of psychers, and they love collecting knowledge. And that's another thing that I love about uh, A Thousand Suns novel is when he sends away the defensive fleets, just like we have, you know, a few space marines and the other Horus Heresy novels who go against their chaotic chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, he sent away a whole a whole fleet. So that's, you know, they either get purged or they become a, a redeeming chapter. So... Mm-hmm. That's where I, I think the Blood Angels are definitely. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, a sect of the Thousand Sons. So. Oh, you mean the Blood Ravens? <laughs> Blood Ravens. Blood Ravens. <laughs> I was gonna be like, wait, what are you saying about my boys? <laughs> no, Blood Angels are just space vampires. Yeah. For cool. me, it has to be something that's unfolding completely irrelevant to the main storyline of 40k. Okay. Truthfully. That being said, just to touch on like the heresy for one second, because you mentioned Thousand Sons. I know it has nothing to do with it, but my favorite character in that entire series has to be Argyll Tall, if you guys remember him. Oh, yeah. From the Word Bearers. I'll <laughs> get must, into that in a little bit if you want to talk about that. <laughs> I, fuck, Betrayer where uh, Erebus almost fucking, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that pissed me off so much. Oh, I can I imagine. I haven't gotten that far. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll steer away from Betrayer's That's kind of why I didn't say too much about it, but, like, his whole storyline between the two books, Argyll Tall, has to be one of the most beautifully written stories that I have read to come out of the heresy. Oh, yeah, he's he's one of the only two word bearers that I like, so... Cool. Yeah. That being said, uh, the theory that I am love the most, um, I'm a little bit biased. One of my favorite authors in the entire Black Library is Dan Abnett. Of course. I think he's <laughs> absolutely amazing. There's no praises I can't sing about the man. I agree. Yeah, um, I think he's got to be number one. Mm-hmm. I actually had the pleasure of meeting him for like whatever two minutes at the last game stay that they had here in Toronto. Oh, he's nice. one of the only people who have literally rendered me speechless for a few seconds. Like I stood in <laughs> front of him just like, I'm, yeah, um, uh, signed these. <laughs> Anyways, I remember getting into Gaunt's Ghosts, which is probably his most oh, yeah. like widely read series. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting into Gaunt's Ghosts just after Bantine. That was the last book oh, okay. that he had put out. And I had read the one before that and then got into it. And, ah, oh, fuck, where was it? It was sitting somewhere... In one of the novels, I can't remember which novel exactly, but it was explaining a little bit about Gaunt's backstory and how he was Slato's finest and how he was uh, slated to be his right-hand man. And then Mm. Slato dies at Balhout and now he's been snubbed with this backwater whatever. And I'm like, from the moment I read that in the book, I'm like, at some point, Gaunt's going to become War Master. And I said that probably 10 or 15 years ago. Okay. Okay. And then... It was later on in the series, there was something else that had happened. I think it was in the third story arc, where there was like Traitor General, Armor of Contempt, and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. There was something else that made me say, hey, it's happening. You know what I mean? It's when he uh, when he got back from Traitor General, 
Oh, okay. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. And Barthol Van Voigt's, uh offered him, you know, your full generalship, lose the commissar. And he's like, mm. no. And I'm like, ah, there's another hint. He was supposed to get it. So throughout mm. this entire series of me waiting for the next book, waiting for the next book, I've always been like, he's going to be War Master and he's going to finally get that trophy world for the fucking Tanith because Dan Abnett <laughs> knows that we have been crying through every single fucking death he has put us through. Oh, my from God, yeah. Bert to Colm Corbeck, to Doc Dorden, to mm. Bragg, to Catherine, like, mm, yeah. I can go on and on and on and on. And like all of these people he's put us through, they deserve this fucking world. Mm -hmm. And now finally, I haven't finished reading it yet, but finally he came out with War Master a couple of years ago. Mm. I haven't re finished reading it because I'm savoring it yeah. because the book before he becomes the War Master's proxy. If the War Master dies, Gaunt is now War Master. And mm. when I read that, I'm like, First man, yeah! <laughs> It's all coming together. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, it has absolutely nothing to do with the main progressing storyline of 40K whatsoever. Mm. But considering I have been like a wet dream fanboy of this man for literally half of my life, mm. I feel so vindicated and validated in like reading this now having gone like colm corbeck and uber amos two characters both penned by dan abnett oh, and yeah. both characters are the only times yeah i see you pointing at me you know what i'm talking <laughs> about both yeah. characters are the only times reading books that i have literally been brought to tears oh okay interesting and yeah i'm still trying to get uh crimson king into gaunt's ghost but that's fine. It's a slow. It's a slow corruption. But uh, <laughs> I have so many other books to read. It's true, and you also have to do Eisenhorn and Ravener, which I, also... I have those. I have an omnibus for one, and mm -hmm. the collected ones with um, the other short stories for the other one. So, mm -hmm. and I have the first Pariah book. Oh yeah, that would. That's also that's a slow burn, but that's a really good one. So yeah. I won't get into too many spoilers for this because I I, I want to keep Crimson King fresh. But fair, I uh, apologize, but no, it's no, just no, one no, of my okay. fashions. I will but, forget every word you just yeah, said. I was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say by the time he gets into it, it'll it'll be fresh. But with what you're talking about with Eisenhorn, that moment that got close for me. But the point where I actually teared up was if you've read the Magos. Not in its entirety yet. That's another oh, one that I'm taking my time with, you know? That's, yeah, there is a, I won't say what the moment is then, but there is a point in Magos where I was just, just from all the time I've spent with the characters and what is happening, I got so, I got so emotional. And I was just like, oh my God, it, it's just, it's this culmination. It's like watching, I'm going to swap from Warhammer here. It's like watching One Piece where you just, you get these payoffs that are like 10, 15 years down the line, but it's been set up so perfectly. That it just you get hit with all these emotions when they come back. Um, it's, yeah. it's the same author, so I have to ask you. Like you, mm. you sound like you've read Gaunt's Ghost. You sound like you've read Eisenhorn. Mm. Like, really, this hit you harder than both of those moments, Corbic and Amos. Yeah, it, it actually did. Just just because of who the character is. Okay. It's, and it's a I character like that, that. Yeah, and it's a character that I think when you get there, you'll understand because it's it's just. It's so powerful. Can I tell you a story about him? I told you I met him at the at the games workshop or the games day. Mm -hmm. When I finally got my wits together, I managed to get a few words out and I managed to mumble something along the lines of like, because this was shortly after Sabbath Martyr, and oh, okay, okay. Uh, I managed to ask him. I'm like, Colm, why? You know? Oh, okay. 
And you know what he says to me? I'll, I'll never forget these words. These words are indelibly seared into my brain. Mm. He looked me in the eyes with his glasses and everything, his little goatee at the time. Mm. And he says to me, he says, did you care? <laughs> and I said, well, something stupid like, yeah, of course I care. So, absolutely. Mm. I have no idea what I actually said because I was too focused on this. But he's like, did you care? <laughs> and I said, yes, absolutely. And he looks at me and says, then I did my job. Yeah. Mm, and that's it's... why I think he is probably the best author in their entire catalog. Oh, yeah. Especially with Gaunt's Ghost. There's so many arcs. I I'm a huge sucker for action scenes. It's why in Star Wars, anything with a, with a good space battle, I'm locked in. That's why I like Return of the Jedi more than Empire Strikes Back. But X-Wing series, bro. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Back to Wars. Oh, so good. Oh, so good. I saw <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. I love all that stuff. And so with Gaunt's Ghost... Vervenhive was where I locked in, and I was like, I'm, yep. I am a hundred percent down. I love these books, and then and it that's goes where from Bonin there. Bonin got his shine, bro. That's where Bonin yeah. got his shine. Yeah, exactly. And it's just you get these moments, these characters come to life, and then we get Fantine, and then we get you know the actual defense of of the, of Sabbat, and then all these other, even Garon, which is just so so tense, and it's so good. It's just all that Pay stuff. off with Milo. Yes. Oh my God. Or it's just it's so it's so good and tragic and everything works. And it's also why one of my favorite books that Abnett has made, um, it's technically a one shot. He's never gone back, but it's Titanicus. Oh, yes. The vivid detail of these massive, you know, 200 meter tall war machines just trying to annihilate each other with weapons that could take out cities. What was his name? Red Fury at the very end. He just yeah, walks into yeah. his last battle and he's like, what is this, 200 machines? Yeah, yeah fuck you all. Oh, yeah, Princeps Gearheart. <laughs> I, just, have, oh, I have that God. signed on my bookshelf. Oh, you lucky bastard. <laughs> One of my prized that. possessions. Oh, I, I can imagine. That's did just, you yeah. ever read, Did you, I, this is turning into it like an Abnet love fest here. Yeah, right? Did you ever read uh, The Snakes of Ithaca? No, I, I do want to pick up that because I am curious what he does with the Space Marine chapter. I also need to read because I have it. I have Double Eagle. Um, oh, my God. That's such a good book. Uh, he's, I, I, he's, yeah. uh, he's trying to make a sequel to that. He, it's on his list. The last I don't know if you watch any of his his interviews or anything, but the, huh. the last interview I saw maybe about four months ago, he was saying that. Um, oh, fuck. What was this? he even has a title for it? And he, he said he's got it all out in his head and everything like that. He just needs to fit it in because the heresy is taking up so much of his time as well as other Marvel projects. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like I only actually put it down, I think, because of work. So I should go back and pick it up again. But yeah, it's just everything that he does. There's a single lore thing that he's made that I don't really like. And I mean, it, from what I can see universally, no one really likes it, which is the Cabal. But outside of the Cabal, honestly, everything else he's done is just so good for me. And that he's yeah, he's definitely my number one author. Cabal, if you guys don't know, that's something that, that they brought up in uh, his Alpha Legion book. And it's it's kind of weird. They kind of use it as it's this council of alien races that are trying to destroy chaos. Oh, and yeah. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. yeah they yeah. they use that to justify while Alpharius and Omegon turn, turned in quotes. Yeah, and I remember that scene. Yeah, I wasn't super on board with that. But they've also kind of changed that now. And the Cabal's kind of faded away. Slash, I think they're all dead, actually, now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> That's good. So, yeah, so. we don't really have to worry about I I know at least... John Grammaticus is perpetual, but oh yeah, yeah, that's true. And we're we're not sure he might not live past the end of the current thing that they're doing, but yeah. we'll see. 
I haven't picked up a heresy book in a little bit. Can you guys tell me exactly where they're at in the story? Uh, they are on the war for Terra. <laughs> yes, they technically finished the Horus Heresy, and uh, I think there's like 52 books in total, and then they're doing Siege of Terra as a short, uh, I say short, I think it's like 12 books or something. Yeah, Yeah. see, that's the thing that really got to me, because like I got to, what did, I think I got to like book 20, 24, something like that, yeah. and like I don't know if you guys are fiction write, uh, fiction readers outside of like science fiction or whatever, mm. but there's an author, uh, Robert Jordan, he does a series called The Wheel of Time. He's, oh, yeah, yeah, heard of it. He's, he's yeah. dead, but he ended up taking books where like, and you could literally take hundreds of pages in the middle of these books and like, yeah, don't need to read these pages. Okay, next bit of storyline. Mm. Don't need to read these pages. Mm. And I'm not saying that like 40K lore isn't rich and whatever. It's just like, we know why we're here. Yeah. You've explained to us what happened. Istvan was in the first five books. Yeah, exactly. And I'm reading through Solar War right now. I'm on book three. And they've had one really, really cool plot twist, but... You're very right. So far, with everything I've read about through these wars, there has been no really interesting, you know, lore points that come up. I know that the next book has one. I, I've been told the fourth book, people lost their minds because they expand on the Primarchs project. Yeah. Okay. And there's a thing in there that apparently a lot of people didn't like. I, I don't know what it is yet, though, so so we'll see. But Do you yeah, remember it... the very first one, Horus Rising? When was the last oh, time yeah. you guys read that? Probably three years ago. Probably yeah. longer, yeah. <laughs> you guys probably have it better in your memory because I read it a lot longer than that. But mm. uh, do you guys remember in that book when they were describing the scene where there's someone in, like, ethereally watching the 20 canisters where the Primarchs are and whatever? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've, they've explained who that is now. <laughs> oh, did they? There were two different people who were interacted with those canisters in different ways. And they're <laughs> the ones who fucked it all up, isn't it? It keeps expanding. Yeah, well, because Crimson King, I think you know who one of them is, and then I think I know who the other one is. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I mean, yeah. if you're telling me, then I, I think so. Yeah, right. Because as far as I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the first person is Magnus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in a vision from, I think, Zinch itself, if I'm remembering correctly, he sees the Primark Project while it's incepted. And so, yeah, so he's the he's the person in that vision who who is watching. And then the second person, everyone's favorite, is fucking Erebus. Yeah. Through warp shenanigans, he actually ends up in the laboratory. Um, and then they basically it's this weird thing because it's hinted from what I remember. They hint that the fact that he is in the laboratory is what let the chaos gods find the Primarchs and scatter them. But yeah, that's what I always figured. Yeah, but he also gets there through the power of chaos. Like he gets there through through a warp ritual. It's so a wibbly wobbly, yeah, it's, it's, ball of stuff. Exactly, it's it's that self. Yeah, but circle. the emperor has this giant warp portal on Terra anyway, so it's not like the gods of chaos don't know where the fuck he is. It's true, right? Yeah, it's it's that weird little yeah, like like uh, Crimson King said, timey wimey, where it's the same thing where it's you know, Slanesh was only born in the fall of the of the Eldar. But he's been around, you know, the Dark Prince has been around for the entirety of time. So it's just because he was born at one point, he's always been alive, that kind of weird thing. But yeah, talking about the kind of lore stuff that we're going through, I'm curious what you guys think, because I don't know if you guys have been reading this, but I've been kind of, when I have time, I've been reading through the newest Marnius Calgar comic they've been putting out, which is, you know, the new official Marvel release. Hmm. That's interesting to me. I like, I saw that as a talking point here. 
Mm. I was unaware because I knew Dan Abnett wrote for Marvel. I was unaware that Marvel was taking steps into 40K's universe. Mm. That yeah. I think that leads to a lot of potential good things. But seeing what Mar uh, what Disney's done with Marvel, it, it makes me excited. But seeing what they've done with Star Wars doesn't. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know what? You can say what you say. This is just my personal opinion on it. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that I don't like it. But, like, I have seen so many different fan-driven stories and animations and, you know what I mean, unofficial mm. Warhammer 40K work of love just in the past couple of years that I think it would have been nice to see something independent, you know? That's fair. Oh, the comics... Uh, they did some Dark Angels comics before, not Marvel. Uh, I think it was. Titan. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And I'm gonna say this for the comics, and we don't need to talk about any of the other things it applies to. But okay. the general idea, and it's sort of like the the Star Wars uh, canon versus Legends, but mm -hmm. the idea that all the books and comics and whatever that come out are canon in the universe. That's right, as propaganda. As yeah. propaganda. That's how I'm viewing the comics. Because that makes sense. Yeah. It, it is like, you would think that they have a level of control over what gets printed, but mm -hmm. sometimes there's just things that get out of hand. I mean, yeah. it, it does happen in the novels too, like Terminator's doing backflips. Yeah, um, that's some Which we don't need to get into. That's a yeah, completely yeah. different episode. But I know, and I haven't actually read it, but one of the Dark Angels ones, it's supposed to follow this space marine through his journey. But I think they say that he's in the second... What are they called? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, not chapters. Chapters, Dark Angels. Founding? Company. Second oh. company. But he's a green wing. Oh, he's yeah. And he should be a raven, raven wing for yeah. some yeah. reason. So I, again, I haven't read it. I don't know the details. So I feel like it's, you know, I, again, I haven't read Marnius Calgar. I'm sure it gets a little wonky in there but i i'd like to take it with a grain of salt and just pretend you know well i mean some... you can enjoy each media as it presents itself That's you true. know what i mean it doesn't have yeah. to be completely beholden to what it's trying to latch on to no like yeah. i have no doubt that they're going to come out with some absolutely amazing artwork as marvel is 100 percent about that mm -hmm. i have no doubt that their storyboards are going to be good but i mean if you're going to nitpick that maybe you know marnius caligar shouldn't do a fucking backflip you're right he shouldn't but if it looks cool on the page it's going to sell issues yeah and yeah. and again that's where like if i was you know an imperial citizen reading this i'd be like wow space marines are cool they could do backflips <laughs> did you so. ever pick up the imperial infantryman's uplifting primer it was full uh, of that yeah. i have a pdf somewhere i do same yeah i, I want to get one <laughs> I, I love it i love that it has you know assessments of all the xenos and it's like tyranids not a big deal six bayonets <laughs> engage orcs in close combat <laughs> my favorite was the little animation it says what to do if you get blown out of a ship in space mm -hmm. and it says cover your mouth and try and swim back towards the hole <laughs> and i'm like wait a second wait a second this uh there's something wrong with this one i i like the ones where it's like you know if if this thing's about to happen take off your gear or whatever because we need to reuse it yeah oh like, yeah <laughs> it will not protect you yeah, yeah take it off so it doesn't get destroyed yeah my, my favorite is still uh when fighting orcs engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat they're slow and clumsy so you'll be able to catch their <laughs> their weapon and disarm it it's just like why <laughs> you're just sending uh, them to die 
And I, I do love that, like they have that, and then the um, Warhammer community, they have the the weekly oh, yeah, guardsman, yeah, where it's like, you know, it's talking about all the updates, but it's like, oh, you know, Dark Angels are joining you. Don't talk to them. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The other thing I missed, you were talking about the guardsman hand to hand, just reminded mm-hmm. me. Uh, do you guys know who Steve Parker is? No. Nope. He wrote a novel a little while ago. I don't know if he ended up continuing with the Black Library, but this is something that I miss about 40K and the Black Library, kind of what I touched on with the 13th Black Crusade, and I realize that sometimes it backfires, but Mm. do you guys remember a while ago, I'd say probably 10-plus years ago, they used to do yearly, one year would be 40K, one year would be fantasy. You'd be able to submit your short stories. The best Mm -hmm. ones would be picked, put in an anthology, and you'd get paid like three pence per written word. Okay. Yeah. Steve Parker ended up being one of the people who ended up submit. If I remember the story correctly, I could be wrong. Don't take me as gospel here. Mm. But uh, he ended up being one of the guys who submitted a story. And from those, they ended up getting a lot of new blood authors during the time that I started picking up a lot of 40K books. I really miss the fact that they would let you contribute stories like that. And he ended up making a book called uh, 15 Hours, which is oh, a basically okay. about okay. a guardsman. Yeah, yeah who gets dumped on a planet where he shouldn't have been because of an administrative clerical error mm, instead yeah. of like traveling to sector 0.03.003 it's 0.03.303 right mm. and they get dropped into this middle of this orced war zone and he's the last one from his whole company and they're all telling him you've only got 15 hours to live and he ends up getting into like hand to hand with an orc and getting gutted and stuff like that it was a really great book yeah. but like I've heard just of that one. Just searching the wealth of fans who love your product so much mm. and letting them contribute to it, that's one of the things that I miss about older 40K versus what I see as newer 40K. These opportunities are a little bit gone, aren't they? They've brought that mm. back, actually. Yeah? Yeah, they're doing, I think it's Inferno, or they're doing, yeah, they started with a lot of horror, oh, yeah, but that's right. they oh, are, cool. every now and then, they'll put on the website, uh, warhammercommunity.com, I think, mm. that uh, they're looking for open submissions. And, that's uh, exciting. Yeah. I always yeah. love that about them. That's one of the things that really drew me into the whole background, the whole universe, everything. You know? That's the beauty of this hobby. Like The reason your models come gray are so you can mm-hmm. build them, paint them, do whatever you want with them. Yeah, gray the backstory. And, and, and you know, you get to pick the weapons and mm. you get to paint them, build them how you like. I've got some Tau from my friend that are just carrying things they should not be able to carry. <laughs> so that's all right. I've I've made a story for them, you know, mm. and I haven't painted them yet because who paints their models? <laughs> but, well, well, you're talking to somebody who's got pl- upwards of twenty thousand points of guard. You're right. Who does paint yeah, their models? Yeah. <laughs> no one's got time for that. Exactly. But uh, speaking of the lore points, as we're kind of winding down here, so the one thing with the Calgar comic that I wanted to talk about, and if any of the listeners don't want to get spoiled for Calgar comic, uh, I'm going to spoil what happens at the end of issue two. So if you were planning on that, I think, you know, you might want to get out of here now because spoilers ahead. So with that spoiler warning, because I don't think you guys mind too much, right? Oh, I sure as hell don't. I will forget every word you say. That's fair. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so spoiler warning. And uh, yeah, at the end of the second Marnie's Kelgar comic, they kind of, in my opinion, at least radically alter Marnie's Kelgar's backstory 
I guess to a degree, because basically we learned that during Marnie's Calgar's Ultramarine trials, it was him and another, his best friend, basically, who went into the trials at the same time. And at the end of the second book, the, his friend and Marnius end up fighting. They basically learn that the person who was scouting them to become Ultramarines is running a chaos cult. And so they try to fight their way out of the chaos cult. And at the end of it, Marnius Kelgar is killed by them. And so he dies. He's Marnius Kelgar is dead. And what happens is that his friend takes up the mantle of his name because he says Marnius Kelgar has to become an Ultramarine. He is destined to be. So I'm going to become him. Because if I remember correctly, Marnius Kelgar is like a noble's son. And this guy's like his best friend's servant, basically. Oh. Um that's yeah, interesting. So, yeah, so the, from there on, they just keep going, and then you know it continues. But yeah, I was I was kind of interested in that because on one hand, it's like okay, so cool, all that stuff about, and especially in some of the other books because they have had Marius Kelgar talk about his noble heritage before. Mm-hmm. It's all technically lies now. Well, but having no previous connection mm. or attachment to Marius Kelgar, I kind of like that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I I gotta admit, yeah, I kind of do too. I mean, if you think about the way that the Emperor himself works through mysterious ways and, (laughs) you know, resurrecting this person there and, like, you know, magical line of dialogue here kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. If Marnius Calgar was supposed to be the hero of the Imperium that he is, Mm -hmm. right? And then all of a sudden... Oh, you've read the Gaunt's Ghost books. You remember when the kid's neck gets broken, the saint? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's precedent for that. I, I, I kind of like the idea. Yeah, so, that's fair, right? So, like, I guess, I mean, it gets into the name Marnius Calgar, right? Like, the mm. way we have our names, it kind of represents a bloodline. But when you're a space marine, you're the end of your bloodline. Mm-hmm. So the name is just representing the feats that he's done, the gravitas behind it. So if this second Marnius Calgar can keep up the uh, duty of the true Marnius Calgar, then he, as far as I'm concerned, he is Marnius Calgar. That weird sounds mm. awful in my head now. Can I, <laughs> no, I uh, can I make a little bit of an argument against what you just said? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> no, go for it. I point out that I don't think that your line is done. I think what happens is your line enters a new line of heroes because think about the gene seed, think right. about all of that kind of stuff. So now, sure, Calgar, the noble from what I can't remember what planet he was from, but uh, McCray. What McCray? Oh, was it McCray itself, or was it one of the training worlds? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's McCray. Okay, I'm so sure. I'm I'm entirely wrong on that one. I'll, I'll submit, submit to that because I was never a Smurf <laughs> fan. That's fair. But, I mean, sure, the line of Calgar itself ends from McCraig, but the line of Calgar is now held up as an example for the rest of Ultramar as what you can get into. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think back to the Uriel Ventress books, which were also really great books. I can't remember the author for, for the life of me on that one, but they were really great books, too. And I remember the training session he went through with Pisanius and... Leandros or whatever his name was the his sergeant and like you know what the trials that you have to go through to become a space marine and then to read through the the comic as you're telling me that they fought off a chaos cult in the beginning like yeah Calgar is a hero and he should be remembered as one Mm -hmm. and that's actually that's a great point because my favorite chapter master and I'm obviously going to be biased about this Commander Dante of the Blood Angels 
he actually does kind of have that same thing where in one of his novels, uh, the servant that ends up serving him and being one of the main characters in the book, who I love, he's such a he's such a great character. But it's that actually that same kind of thing. His name's Arafeo, and he actually joins or goes for the trials to try and become a blood angel because of Dante's legend and ends up unfortunately failing. And then that's why he becomes chapter surf, but becomes Dante's kind of like personal. I don't want to say servant, but I guess he kind of is. I like to think about it, but yeah, you're right. It does kind of build that legacy up. And yeah, I just yeah. was remembering like the sanguiner, I think mm-hmm. if that gets passed down or at least the, um, I don't know the blood angels, but uh, Cypher mm-hmm. from the dark angels, right? It's, yeah. One of my favorite characters, yeah. Mm. See, yeah, we see in the, some of the Horace Heresy books that it's not a person's name, it's a title. So mm-hmm. it gets passed down. We don't technically know who the cipher currently is. So if Marnius Calgar becomes something like that, then that's pretty cool. And then it yeah, outlives yeah. any individual space marine. Yeah, exactly. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, some awesome points that we've all had. But I think we are just about out of time, gentlemen. So thank you for joining me with this. It's been awesome talking 40K with you guys. Thank you for for having us on. (laughs) Thanks. No problem. But with that being said, let's get into the outro. Welcome to the end of this episode of Voice of the Imperium. As we begin to cease communications, I must ask. Uh, Ed, I I think I got back in. I don't know. Can you can you help me with this transmission? I need to I need to adapt. Focus on those communications. Ed, can you hear me? I'm trying to shut yes, this guy down. Beneficial one. How may I help you today? No, Ed. What happened? We're trying to get out of here. Clean up that signal. Cease those communications. Don't even know where we are. Anyways, as I was saying, Lord Militant, is there anything that you would like to tell our viewers about? Anything you'd like to plug, as they say? Well, I do want to give a quick shout out to a theater company that I've worked with for a good many years. Um, They helped me get a lot of confidence, put on some character, you know, the little bit of voice that you heard fooling around. They're great people. It's called uh, Mortar and Pestle Productions. They're a community theater, and uh, they're run right here out of Toronto. You can uh, hit them up on their website, mortarandpestleproductions.com. Their Instagram, at Mortar and Pestle Productions, or Twitter, at Mortar and Pestle Productions, and Facebook. And uh, they do a bunch of online radio shows, and after we get out of the craziness we're in, hopefully we'll be able to do some more live stage theater shows excellent we'll make sure to keep that in mind crimson king is there anything that you yourself would like to plug um nothing that i can talk too much about right now but there is something coming and if you check out hobby nights in canada.ca eventually there will be something there that's nights with a k we'll see very good and we'll make sure to have the servitors put the links in our descriptions of the episode. With that being said, if you'd like to contact this podcast to bless us with your love of Warhammer and all other things 
taking part in Games Workshop's beautiful, beautiful world. You can contact us through a variety of means. Servitor EDN324. Tell them how you can get in contact with us. There are several ways that you may get in contact with the Imperium forces. The hijacked email of voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. There is a Twitter link. Find at voiceforcepod. Find at voiceforcepod. Retweeting new episode tweets helps with growing listener base. Oh, grand one. Find voice of the find voice of the force at voiceoftheforce.com. You may listen, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. Leave a five-star review. Excellent work, Servitor. Tech Addict, come take a look at this Servitor. It seems faulty. Subscribe. Sub, sub, sub. Now that we've taken out the trash, from all of us here at Voice of the Imperium, thank you for listening. Remember to pray to the God Emperor, and may his light always be with you. Ed, I swear to God. No, I swear to the Emperor himself, Sidious, that I will avenge you! Commence exterminatus.